Welcome to the Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpole. And before we meet this week's guest and or special guest, a word from our splendid sponsor, Thor. Our Dellingpod sponsor, Thor Holt, has taken a vow of silence in January. Is silent January a thing, Thor? I've heard of dry January. And is letting his clients talk today. The first client is the owner of a multi-award-winning Scottish IT firm. Managing director Cheryl says, Thor is like Marmite. Love it or hate it. He's honest, authentic, funny, clever and super talented. We have laughed and cried. He is just amazing at what he does. If you need help with strategic presentations, I never go anywhere else. Feel fortunate to always have him in my corner. I hate Marmite, but bloody love this man. The final client feedback note is a company owner who employs Thor as a non-executive director to help him aggressively scale up and then exit his Yorkshire-based business. He says, Thor, you're underselling yourself. You do what you say on the tin, but better. You absolutely turbocharged me, properly stalked my fire. Like my Yorkshire accent there. Read 80 more client recommendations for Thor and connect with him today at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Thor Holt. Thor, I think that advert was much better than the last one. Well done, mate. Dellingpod with me, James Dellingpod. I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, but look, look who I've got back for a, this is your third time, Clive Dakar. Clive, I love having you on the show because whatever you say on whatever subject, I know is going to be really interesting. So I don't really mind what we talk about, but can we just start actually? Now I think about it. Tell me again the thing you told me earlier about how to win people round through like people a, a lot of a lot of my a lot of my viewers and listeners have this frustration they look at what's going on in the world and they look at how many people are just still caught in the spell and it seems like to us it seems obvious what's going on and you try and truth bomb people into awareness and the opposite effect happens. They, all their defences go up, and they and they don't want to listen to what because they think we're tin foil hat lunatics, and they don't want to know. So, what's your secret? Well, it's not my secret. It, I first heard about it uh, two or three years ago. Um, one of the people who worked with me told me about Marshall Rosenberg and his non-violent communication. It was. So interesting, really, really, really interesting. And the first thing I learned was that if you want to get an idea across, you know, most people think uh, if they get a new idea given to them that's really contrary to what they already think, it's like an attack. It's like you have hurt them physically with with the new idea. So how do you get past that barrier? Well, the first barrier that can be overcome is to ask them permission to give them this new piece of information. So when I learned that, that proved really useful because 
if I felt the moment was right and the person might be receptive, I would say, you know, if, if you've got the time, I learned something really very interesting the other day that I think you might find interesting. You know, if you've got the time, would you like me to tell you? So right away, they're now open to some new possibility that they may not know, that otherwise that they would have, you know, shied away from because it's against what they were indoctrinated with at school. So go on, try it out on me now. Imagine, imagine I'm a normie and I think that, I think that um, I trust my doctor, my NHS doctor. I like the NHS. I don't think that pharmaceutical companies would be so evil as to poison us deliberately or, or even for profit. Um, what are you going to do about it, mate? So, what, what, what is your need here? What's, um, why, why do you go to the doctor? Is it a need for health or what's the need? Yes, I believe that, that look, you wouldn't get all those qualifications. You wouldn't spend three years at, or was it four years? At it college, five, or was it? Five, and you've got, you've got maths, physics, chemistry, biology probably. So you're, you've got a sciencey brain. So you are the sort of person who'd know this stuff. And clearly you would not have a system um, of 100 years worth of modern medicine. People would have, would have seen through it by now. But if, if, it were, if it were really killing us, you know, it wouldn't be possible. The papers would tell us about it. Um, so I trust, I trust modern medicine because I'm a modern person. Uh, and I think like alternative people are crazies, basically. Let's just come back to your need. Your need was for health. Yes. Now, so um, if one need, if one's need is for health, then I, I would suggest that what this means is that your perfectly formed, God-given body uh, is in some way not performing as, as you believe it, it should, right? Your body hasn't let you down, maybe the other way around, that you've so to speak, let down your body. You haven't perhaps eaten well enough, you haven't looked after it well enough, you've perhaps been poisoned by the environment in some way, what you've been eating, and that really what you need to do is to pay attention to, well, what is health? And I would suggest that at a very core level, health is minerals. We're you know, full of minerals, we're full of actually fats and vitamins, we're full of amino acids and all the things like proteins and carbohydrates are below those things. These are just the absolute essentials and most people are, are low on these these days because they're not eating properly and properly as like our ancestors would have done just a few hundred years back. And so people are paying the price where their bodies aren't capable of being perfect through lack of basic nutrition. The doctor's view, on the other hand, and what's taught at medical school, is your bodies have gone wrong, it's your fault, and we've got a drug which will lessen the pain and agony of your slow decline. I mean, this is rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. Five years of medical school, they do not study health as a subject, right? It's just not on the curriculum. Cures, it's not on the curriculum. They do not study it. At no point do 
do healthy people come in who say, I've never been to a doctor in my life, I'm so healthy and, and I'm 85 and super fit or whatever it is, right? Yeah. You'd think that you want thousands of those sort of people. I didn't need the doctor and this is how I managed it. But instead, they studied disease, they studied drugs, surgery, radiation, but that's not health. They call it a health system, but it's not. It's not health. Yeah, but you sound like, like um, you think that it was better in the time when... Well, I mean, you only have to look, look how many children died in the, in the 19th century and, and, and how before they had all the, all the advantages of modern medicine. Life was much, was much tougher, wasn't it? People died much, much earlier. Only at certain times. A trip to a graveyard at different periods of time will tell you a lot about when people died. And around the really nasty periods of overcrowded towns, you know, some of the, you know, the, the industrial nastiness that went on, um, people weren't eating properly, they were living in pretty unsanitary, and it was all pretty horrid. Now, um, I've lost where we're going for a second. Sorry. That's right, and you haven't even had a spliff or anything. Right. Just, you're, you're naturally chill, aren't you? No, well, I think, I think probably you were slightly foxed by me, me so effectively playing the, the devil's advocate, which I'm kind of bored with doing now. What was it, you said? Well, I was just saying about, about how back in the day... People were dying in droves because they didn't have oh, yes, medicine. Oh, sorry, yes, that's, yeah. where, that's where I got lost. Okay, when you look at the graves, um, there's a lot of death of uh, newborns, quite a lot of death up to the age of four, and a lot of mothers died in childbirth. Yeah. Take those two things out, and the others live quite long lives. So what? what the press and the governments have done is try to manipulate the figures so that it looks like when you put all the deaths together the average lifespan is 43 but that's not absolutely true right that, uh, people a lot of people died in childbirth in the early victorian age so that's that skewed that skewed the average yeah. massively yes i see so people weren't dying routinely in middle age in what we now consider middle no. age so yeah. visit graveyards have a look have a look for yourself I've I've often wondered about this. I, I can't remember whether we talked about this last time. Did Victorian teenagers get acne? Well, they may have It very much depends. I mean, I would suggest that acne and other problems started about 1850, 1851 in America when co um, cottonseed oil was introduced as a food. And cottonseed oil was actually is not a food, but it was sold as such. And various oils came out over the years. And you know, at the time, people, you know, let's say, people genuinely thought the cottonseed oil was healthy. You know, there had never been the research, it was just on the market. Mm. And you can trace various diseases to the introduction of more and more processed foods, where if you like, they didn't know what they were doing. And, uh, you know, in Boston, I saw the figures of, I think, cancer and heart disease in the city of Boston in the, before 1850 and after. And you could see an, inc uh, an increase directly related to certain foods and changes that were, were going on. So, um, cottonseed oil, is that, is that, I thought they were into things like canola, which is what? 
uh, rape seed oil, isn't it, now? Well, is that, is canola that... is, gen- as I understand it, genetically modified oh, rape seed oil. And when I was young, rape seed oil, as I understood it, was uh, machine oil. I don't believe it was edible, believed edible at that point. And it was only as I got older that I started to see the fields of that colour yellow. So uh, I don't feel <coughs> that rapeseed oil is a traditional oil that your great-great-great-grandparents would have used. I don't think so. By the way, actually, maybe I'm the only person who thinks this, but the smell of the rapeseed flower, what does it smell to you? I don't like it. It smells to me... And I don't like the colour either. The colour's horrible. It's, it tells that it's got the sweetness of death. It's got it's it smells slightly like a like a rotting corpse. I mean, not obviously not as bad as a corpse, but I've always thought, and I bet you that it, it it's it's responsible for the rise in hay fever and stuff. I'm sure that that I mean it's quite cloying, isn't it? The so I've never liked it. You know, almost every wild flower or cultivated flower I like, but that yellow just looks wrong. And yet I don't like the smell. And I, th- I think it is wrong and people are being fooled. I would suggest deliberately by some parties uh, to eat the wrong oils. I mean, you know, what, what, what are good oils that our ancestors would have appreciated? Well, uh, biblically, you know, the fat of the land, the cream of the crop, the fatted calf, you know, always natural fats and, you know, fats and oils, sort of same sort of thing, were you know, consider the best. You know, what is the cream, by definition, the best? And suddenly the media, let's say, the powers that be, the powers that suggest, suddenly suggested that fat was bad and you should avoid it. And dementia and Alzheimer's arrived. Yeah. Do you... I'm, I'm sort of fairly new down the, the food rabbit hole. Um... So I'm sort of, obviously I haven't got the knowledge that, 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 that you have, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. And I try and impart my newly acquired wisdom to, to people. And I try and tell them the things they need to do to get, to eliminate from their diet or to, to change their diet to make themselves better. Would I be right in thinking that the number one thing is don't use seed oils, use, use butter, butter, uh, beef fat, ta- uh, lard, or maybe coconut oil, but, but don't... And olive oil for salads, but not for cooking in. Is that... Is that, is that... Um, well, uh, sort of, yes. However, do I want to live my life like that? Uh, well, I think there are tweaks that one can make, actually. Um, for instance, uh, I like cooking in olive oil, but I'm very conscious to do it very slowly. I had some Italian relatives and they would spend hours cooking their tomato sauce that was going to last ages in this huge, huge container and part of it was the slowness uh, uh, of it and the olive oil wasn't burning and getting hugely hot or whatever. Um, So then, well, what if you want sunflower oil? What if, okay, um, actually what I like is pumpkin seed oil. Mm-hmm. Now, I found for about 60 quid uh, on eBay or somewhere an oil, a grinder. And so what it is, 
is you can get your own seeds, you can sprout them if you, if you want, you can sprout them and then dry them and then put them through. And the oil, when it was fresh, just right done. It was, I've never tasted oil like it. It was amazing. I tried it with sunflowers, that was okay, but nothing stand out. But the, the, um, uh, the pumpkin seeds, the pumpkin seed one was ultimately good. So after having bought this thing and realized you have to have like a candle or a alcohol burner to slightly warmer the thing to get enough oil out, I realized I should have bought an electric one. However, in the power cut, you've got lots of oil, but it was it's good. Good arm exercise, almost, no, needs my left hand who wanted to get, get the arm exercise with the other arm. I think there are some alternative health things which are more trouble than they're worth. And I, I, as this, it, this one is probably one of them. Well, you see, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so after I came to see you um, last time, you, you gave me these delicious um, dried raspberries, were they, or strawberries? I've, yeah, I've forgotten. Raspberries. Them. And they were really, really good. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live like like Clive I'm gonna I'm gonna create so I bought a load of Kilner jars ready for my for my new plan you know this, this is part of my survival prepping thing and then I bought a food a fruit dryer thing oh wow and I thought I'll start easy I'll, I'll, I'll get some apples and I got the apples and I sliced them up and I put them into Lemon juice, lemon juice, and something else. I think you're meant to prepare them before you you put them in, and I laboriously dried them, and I tasted the finished product, and I thought it really wasn't worth it. I mean, the hassle of slicing the okay. apples thinly enough. And this is this is this is one well, of the problems. I mean, uh, uh, let me stop you there. Yeah. Okay. Right. I did the same thing. I've bought a dehydrator. Yeah. Um, not pl plastic. It's just metal. Very nice. I was quite pleased with it. And so I cut up the apples, and I did nothing, put, put them in, turned it on, uh, tested it every now and then for 20-odd hours or whatever, uh, felt it was right, and that was it. I put them in kiln jars, they're still perfect. Yeah, they look a bit brownie-ish, okay. but it really didn't matter. Okay, so, so okay. don't be disheartened. So you can remove the lemon juice thing, but even so, I mean, drying there was do, no drying. But doing them, slicing them really thinly is a real pain. Don't, don't, I slice them quite thick. Okay, yeah, but then they're, yeah, but then they're not they're, they're chewy then. Not necessarily. Mm, okay. um, I mean, it, during the drying process, try them at various stages. Right. You might be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. They're, uh, they're commercially, they're probably extra drying them be absolutely careful there's no mold or anything on a partially dried one yeah but experiment you might be surprised at the but, different taste as it as it dries i mean when we win this one which we you know when we get the better world that we're all striving for which would be like a kind of like a sort of pre-industrial world in men in, in in many ways um the problem is that let's not pretend that the agrarian life or the kind of the pre-industrial life isn't one of physical physical toil which some of us are really not i mean look i hate i hate the evil you know i recognize that the modern world is run by the devil that's that i, I i'm fully on board with with the evils of the world at the same time it's quite nice to be able to 
get on an aeroplane and go somewhere nice and have cocktails served to you by, you know, in Mexico and and to like have aircon um, and well, yeah, aircon really um, and and all all the, the and lights that work and stuff. It's what well, we're going to lose quite a lot, aren't we? When when all, when all the well when we evolve. I mean, unless. Unless people realise the con that's right in front of their faces. I mean, when I was young, the people of the UK owned the electricity system. And for some unknown reason, a bunch of mafia-type thugs called themselves a government and said, leave it to us, vote for us, we'll represent you and we'll look after all your prized possessions like the water system and the electricity system yeah. that you've all paid for. And over the years, that turned down to we, the government, own the water that used to be yours and the electricity. Now, hey, oh, we've sold it. Oh, yeah. imagine that. But don't worry, a few of us got really, really rich on the side. Now, we, the, the people of the UK, in my opinion, still own the water and still own the electricity. Yes, a bunch of criminals have uh, looked after it for us uh, kindly, you know, while we didn't realise that we were the true owners. And uh, thank you very much for being the custodians, looking after it. I'm sure we continue to make sure everything runs fantastically with the systems. But actually, we're now going to um, just transition back to how it should be. Yeah, yeah. You're, you couldn't be more right on that subject. That that to understand the world as it is now, you need to understand it in terms of essentially mafia gangs, governments. Are, that America is a, cr- a criminal conspiracy. The United Kingdom is a, conspir- a criminal conspiracy. So you've got different gangs, sort of jostling one another, jockeying for power. And we are, we're the, we're the marks, we're the victims. And that's, and that's how it works. And I think so, I was, I was at a party last night um, in a room full of really successful people. Well, obviously they were, because they'd all been at Oxford with me. Um, and they'd been groomed for this. They'd been prepared to, for, for the life that they live now. Every one of them in the room, apart from one person, I think, there were two, there were two more waverers. Everyone in the, in the room believed in the paradigm. Uh, and if I, if I told them that, that, the, that our government was a criminal conspiracy, that America was a, that, that, that well, I, I did tell them, <laughs> and they laughed in my face. I mean, they, they just, most people just don't, don't get it. And they think that if they vote for, a kind of, for one junior gang boss over another junior gang boss, depending on the color of his, his rosette, it's going to make a difference. Yes. So how do you get through to them? So, well, so there's the people. Yeah. Yes. So to ask them if you might tell them about what it is. And if they accept your request that yes, you can get through the first barrier and they might listen to the next thing. You know, there's the saying that if you say to somebody three truths in a row that they absolutely agree with you know and that's pretty easy to do 
Then a fourth thing you want to present to them, they're going to be much more open uh-huh. to think about it and assess it rather than dismiss it out of hand, for example. Okay, so that's your second, because we took a long way to, to get back to the original topic of conversation, which was how to win over the normies. And you said, yeah. so the first one is, you, are, you, okay. you ask their permission and, they, and they, you get a yes out of them. Yes, that, that helps. What you're looking for are what, are what are the person's basic needs? Because we all of us have exactly the same needs in life that um, you know, we're all basically the same, right? We need love, we need reassurance, we need security, we need happiness, we need companionship, we need sincerity, we need you know, every positive facet that we love in, in the world, you know, tranquility. But we need ideally access to all these things. And there's a fantastic sort of body of work. I'm amazed that they've not taught this at school. It's so straightforward and it's understanding the difference between feelings and needs. It's the work of Marshall Rosenberg. And uh, if you haven't heard of Marshall Rosenberg, uh, videos are absolutely out there. And as I've been watching it, it really has changed the whole way that uh, I think about how to communicate uh, with everybody. It's really, really quite extraordinary. And um, uh, I'm just amazed I haven't come across it before. What it is called is nonviolent communication. Nonviolent communication. How to get through the barriers and realize that every angry person, every person that might be confrontational in some way, basically has a need at that moment. They may come across critical to you, angry about you, but underneath that, they've got a need. And the way through is to not be, whatever they're saying, it feels like an attack. No, just ignore all that. What you're looking for is what's their need. And it may be that if you're calm and don't react to anything that's coming at you, that you just then in your calm know what question might help them. You might say, is the reason that you're angry because of some event that's happened and you would like a way to express that so that you could be calmer? Oh, I think that would really wind them up, wouldn't it? I mean, you're presupposing that they don't, no one that's been told they're angry. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. That was an appalling example. As I can tell you, I'm just, I'm just learning it. That was really bad. Yeah. I might cut that, well, I might cut that bit out. No, don't. Keep it <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, so, we need yeah. authenticity. So, um, basically, the need is always within themselves. Mm. The need is never about you, me, anything outside themselves. And... Um, Gosh, I should have prepared myself. No, for this. no, climate. I, I, look, I, I can see it's. If you're picking up a new technique, it's going to be bloody difficult. You're not going to be a master of it. I, I do think, uh, as I, I mentioned it before, it does sound quite like a thing that a lot of people sort of it, it sends that makes their hackles rise, it, 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 their hair on the back of their neck sort of bristle, um, and that is NLP. 
because they associate it with the dark arts. And I, I know that a lot of neuro-linguistic programming can be used as a, te a technique to manipulate people. But having said that, I mean, if the bad guys are using it, we, we need to find a way of, of finding the good side of it and using it to advance our causes. Because this, look, we're living in a culture where the forces of darkness have made all the running because they've got, they invented, um, who was Freud's nephew, Edward, Edward Bernays, invented modern propaganda, modern marketing and advertising, didn't he? So they've been using these tricks on us for ages. And we've been like the Eloy to the Moloch, to the, to the Morlocks, except of course, I shouldn't be mentioning the Eloy and the Morlocks because George Bernard, oh, sorry, um, H.G. Wells was one of the bad guys too. But nevertheless, we have been fed on by these, these evil, evil things. And we need to find a way of, because it's so frustrating, isn't it? Like, we, we, we love our loved ones who are not awake. We want to wake them up to help them. It's a good thing. It's a desirable thing. So whatever methods we can find to use. Well, I mean, NLP is just words. You know, words can be very persuasive. You know, bloody so, hope sex is all I'm good at. <laughs> so what's what's the difference between NLP and speaking? Nothing. Mm. NLP is just uh, Richard Bandler and his original business partner realizing that by sitting in on a rather good uh, uh, hypnotist, I think they were sharing an apartment called Milton Erickson, that he was picking up. He was observing how the hypnotist was doing it. The hypnotist didn't know what he was doing exactly, yeah. but actually he was observing what the hypnotist was doing, how clever it was, the way he asked the questions to get the answers, basically. And he, he realised that uh, there were certain ways you could ask a question which elicited the answer easily. And, you know, that, yeah, I mean, it's just a way of using words with more... Tell you a story. We were talking earlier, probably in the bit that got cut off, about NLP. And I was very impressed oh, that, yes. you, that you'd been taught by Richard Bander. So, do you know about the curse of the Dellingpod? Um, two, at least two of my guests, uh, two, two chaps of whom I was very, very fond, have died since they appeared on the Dellingpod. I have a suspicion that it may not be un-death jab related. I don't know, but I, I, but I would speculate that it probably was. And one, uh, um, one of the guys was my lovely, lovely sort of, he trained me how to do public speaking. He was really, really nice, lovely man. And the other was Steve, Steve Witchett. And I, I recommend anyone to listen to my old Steve Witchett um, podcast. One of the things, Steve, Steve was a sort of, he dealt with people with all manner of psychological problems, people with, um, with deep trauma, people who'd, who'd been gang raped, people who had PTSD from, from, from the military and so on. He, and he'd, he'd teach them ways of, of, of getting around it. And I don't know whether this, that, that bit is relevant, but when he was working with me, one of the things he was trying to encourage 
the sort of the ideal quality, have you come across this term, congruence? He wanted you to achieve congruence, that is to be, I suppose another way of putting it is being happy in your skin. And I'm sure that this relates to, to health and, 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 and all the stuff that, that, that you, you've learned about and, and, and teach, that if you're happy in your skin, which basically means being on brand, knowing who you are, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not good at. So I know what I, I'm not good at, and one of them is, tech, is technology. And I'm not very good at slick. And I, I could, if I wanted to, waste lots of energy working at it and be, and be really slick and... and but why? Why not just do the... And if people don't like it, they can go on to a, a slick podcast with less good content. So that's a long way of, of, of saying, I don't think it matters that we've lost... Are you with me? Are you with me, Clive? Am I, was, I, was I rambling then or was I telling no, the no, truth? No, not at all. I mean, you know, I often wonder what consciousness is. Um, is it possible that a camera can have consciousness? Is it possible that a computer could have consciousness? Is it possible that a car could have consciousness? Now, I've had coincidences happen around machines where I've sent an email, immediately regretted it, but luckily the computer didn't send it anyway. Yeah, there was a glitch. But the best one like that ever happened, I was uh, called out from my house, uh, which in, at that point was in Berkshire, a couple of hours to get to North London to see a client who was very, 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 very ill. Anyway, I set, set off, everything's great, and the car starts going wrong. I'm barely on the M4 motorway, and it, the car is not happy. Anyway, um, I'm sort of you know, aware that I'm sort of hoping the car is going to get there. I'm sort of willing it to get there. And for over the next hour or more, the car is getting worse and worse and worse until I break down outside the front door of the ill person. Boom, outside. How did that happen? That was it. Boom, dead. That is... I mean, I don't know if you'd be scared or, or have my heart... I was warm, very but... grateful. But let me tell you another story, because I've had a couple of very strange things happen. When, um, when I was very young, uh, I took a bus from Delhi up to the Himalayas, and it was a horrendous experience. It was very, very nice. It's the early 70s, you don't want to be in a bus... In India in the early 70s for hour after hour. Horrendous. Oh, I do. I'm sorry. I, I, want, I want to be on the hippie trail in the 1970s, man. Uh, well, you know, there's a fucking ghost on your lap. Yeah. It's made for Indians, so you're absolutely screwed. Oh, oh, believe me, it wasn't pleasant. Anyway, so I get to the, to the foothills of the mountains and I throw away the ticket. I don't care anymore. I'm getting off. I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to have a beer. This is just too much. Anyway, I have a lunch and a beer, and life seems to be a bit better. And I eventually found there's another bus a bit later on. So, um, get on the next bus, it's just as bad as the last one, and off we go up the mountain very, very slowly. And the road is just it's barely a road, right? It's just not very good. Anyway, halfway up or something, uh, oh, the road's fallen away. 
and uh, 60 foot down, there's my bus with everybody dead. No. A whole lot of them, yeah. Um, I had no premonition, or it wasn't anything like that. I just got off the bloody bus, you know, but there it was. So it got worse in a way because then they started digging away the hillside and wanted to get the bus across this ridiculous sort of edge. I mean, you know, they, uh, at that point in India, there, you could almost be guaranteed every really nasty turn, there would be a lorry or something smashed yeah. at the bottom. Yes. You know. That Do you know what? That is as good as your fish story. <laughs> and your fish story was... You, you've had some... You've had some experience. I think your guardian angel must be working overtime. <laughs> or something. Well, I've got out and about quite a bit. Yeah, but... I mean, doesn't that not make you wonder? Well, why you... Have you got intuition? Have you got... No. I mean, no more than anybody. I mean, I believe that we're all part of the one. You know, that there's one, whatever it might be. And we're all expressing ourselves that as infinite possibility so that the one can experience the infinite of the infinite of the infinite and at the core of everything is just love. And then if you're doing things for, let's say, the highest good of all, and that sounds a bit grandiose, but whatever you most want to do, what you'd do, you, you don't need to get paid to do it, you'd, you'd do it anyway, you'd pay to do it. You know, people go, oh, but I can't, I don't know how, it's too difficult. Well. If you believe that, then it is. But um, uh, with application, if you really, really want something, it can be quite easy. I mean, various people have... Uh, well, you know, my thing is rather than try and go to interviews and look for somebody who's looking for somebody like you, but the other way around and look for what what job or what thing would you like to do that you would pay to do it'd be so much fun and then go straight to the person who you would most like to work for and say I am so keen to work with you and I'm happy to prove myself sort of thing and just take control of your life because most people get swept along with what the indoctrination camp told them as a child yes it's what it, it's kind of what I'm trying to tell my children, but they'd probably take it better from better from you. I think people don't realise what well, you do, you don't realise when you're young because no one tells you and, and you, that you can do anything, uh, and you've just got to decide what it is that that you most want to do, and then then do it. And they think there are all these rules and that that that, that stop you. And doing, small things like the world's going to end next week. Well, the, 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 I mean, they don't know that though. The, the, well, but they they think they do. I mean, a lot of them are really scared. Oh, of the, of of, the eco-bullshit. Well, any any old bullshit that where they get scared, you know, they're obviously deliberately scaring the children one way or another. And people are scared because they're very compliant, aren't they? Ah, uh, I see. I think I'm more, I, I think I'm more of a the world's going to end next week than, than, than my kids are. Well, it's not. Well... Well, it's going to change. Do you, do you want to? You want to have it? Yeah, end is a tad dramatic, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, but, mm. um, yeah, I um, I do find it very hard to 
advise kids what to do when I think that the financial system is going to is is going to collapse um, when you know, anyone anyone say doing a graduate entry scheme now for example is going to be sorely disappointed because they they ain't never going to progress to the stage where they're making like bandits um, having gone through the you know the, the milling stage as it were like say you were joining JP Morgan now you've probably got three years of hell being worked like a dog you're you you it's going to be a nightmare you're, you're, so you you'd be working that what they do is that is they they work you till sort of 11 12 and then you're expected to spend two or three hours hard partying you may you may get four hours sleep and then back to the because you're constantly producing material for your superiors to 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 sell product, somebody told me this, but sell product around the world. Anyway, the point I'm making is that the payback for, for, for having gone through that hell is that the, you then reach a level where other other kids are doing that horrible stuff for you, and you and you start earning earning serious money. But you're never going to get to the serious money because by that stage, I don't think in three years' time there is not going to be a system which, which is going to be around to pay them. Back. I mean, do do people actually want that? I don't know. Well, the do people I, do because they're living in the old paradigm. Well, okay, they are. But the people, let's say, uh, who are interested in what you've got to say, um, I mean, let's say that it is a bit doom and gloom in three years' time or two years' time or one year's time or whenever. So what, what are we personally going to be doing? Well, uh, you know, we're perhaps going to be stocking up with things, but beyond that, should we be getting chickens? Now, yes. the, the government wants to try and come and kill the chickens. You know, With fake bird flu. Well, I mean, look at what they did to the ash trees. Um, look at what they did to the cows. What did they do to the ash trees? Well, they cut them all down, didn't they? They said there's a terrible... Oh, you mean Dutch elm? The elm well, trees. since then, it's the ash. Dutch elm was a while back. Yes, no, but the, I, 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 is it recording? Yeah. No, I am very conscious about the ash trees, because I think the ash tree is the second most common tree after the oak, isn't it? Right, so what the they've Brazil. said... Correct me if I'm wrong, but what they've said is they've got a disease... So the best thing to do is not to trust nature to get through it, but we're going to cut down every ash tree yeah, in existence. Yeah. Just like the cows have got a disease, nature can't cope with it, let's kill the lot. Yeah. Just like there's COVID, oh, I'm sorry, I'll cut that bit out. There. And um, uh, so let's... Uh, I wouldn't want to say kill everybody, that would be totally wrong, but let's inject everybody. I mean... You know, what's the difference? What's going on? And what's next? Well, yeah, well, indeed. Look, I'm, I'm very suspicious of... What I've learned in the last few years is that there was always the official version and then there's the real, there's the true version. So, for example, the official version is there is a, a bad strain of avian flu going round right now we have to cull these flocks exactly. in order to. Saying, and it? the real reason and is the pigs. we want to fuck over the population. We want them to, to, to starve them. We want to shit on their Christmas. That, and, and that is the real reason. They, they, they want families to spend this Christmas not having their Christmas turkey in order that next Christmas that they're, they're, they're mentally prepared or, or, or that they're, they're, they're unbalanced so that they accept that next Christmas there's not even a kind of bit of beef to replace the turkey with like they're going to do this year that's that's what they're doing 
Yes, I, I haven't been paying attention to sort of what they're doing. I've been involved in other things, so uh, that's, that's all way. sort of news to me. Um, yeah. Well, you don't look. I mean, you don't have to think about everything because, actually, I, I think I think for a lot of us, the best strategy is to just kind of live outside the system well, as much as possible. Let, let's come back to the chickens thing. Yeah. You know, I think everybody should be looking at chickens. It's not that difficult to build a chicken hutch, or you can buy them, uh, as I did, uh, partially built, and you assemble it. My daughter and I. One of my daughters had great fun, didn't only took a couple of hours to put the thing together and paint it with some nice green coloured paint and stuff. And there's enough room for four birds. Now, yeah, I'm not going to lay in the winter, but all through the spring, summer, hopefully, you know, you can... Do they not lay in the winter? Well, it, you see, if you kept them in a warm environment, like the, the breeders do, you know, to, who are having eggs all the time, uh, you know, they fool nature, fool the chickens, so, so there's a constant cycle, but in nature, if you once it gets too cold, they, they're not going to do the laying thing because it's not the right weather for it. Ah, what what did they do in olden days? I mean, did what what did people? Well, well, what, why why is Easter such a popular thing? Because suddenly there are eggs around. Yes. Yeah, there's breakfast all over the place. Do you think? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm presuming. I'm interested in times gone by, the pre-industrial era, because I want to know. I imagine that their their diets were better, seasonal, local. I mean, you ate what there was. You would have been an expert on the mushrooms. You would have known exactly when this mushroom would be hit. I mean, one of the places I lived, the best mushrooms you could not see them, you, you had to know where they were, to gently clear the leaves to yeah. find them. And nobody, except the locals, would ever, they would have got lost, that knowledge would have got lost. What sort of mushrooms were they? Um, I was living in Spain at the time, and uh, my, oh, I had you know fully English knowledge of Spanish, which was rubbish, and I can't remember. Okay. It's pathetic. Um, yes, because I've been through mycological phases of my life where I've been really into I, I, I had a friend who had some bluets wood bluets yeah, in his house. Very, very nice bit to give the shits oh, well, the then the ones to go for are amethyst deceivers amethyst deceivers are purple on the outside and purple on the inside has to be both and there's nothing like it, you can't get it wrong and they grow are they good? Oh, fantastic. But you'd think their name would, would be I know. Deceivers. I reckon they were named by somebody who knew how del delicious they were. For, ah, I'll call them the Amethyst Deceiver and nobody else will want them. This is a measure, right, <laughs> of, of how far I've, I've come. That I used to think, I used to think, um, I used to feel sorry for people who lived in, say, the Middle Ages, because it seemed to me that they, they, they had a diet which consisted, I mean, obviously in richer households, they had a diet which consisted of nothing but meat, and I was thinking, where did they get their where did they get their five their five vegetables a day from? And of course now I think actually you can dispense with the vegetables. Frankly, I mean you don't really need them. It's it, it's it's all in the meat, isn't it? All the good stuff and cheese and eggs and. Uh, well, there's a lot of good stuff, but today, of course, things are different to the old days. I mean. 
uh, it was Michael Palin who I saw a documentary where he, he was looking at Bruegel and the paintings and the life they appeared to be living when the good times were happening. Yeah. And it's quite interesting to look back at it. Um, but today I think there are some people who really need to eat some vegetables. Um, I've seen a lot of people who have been eating really, really badly. Maybe they're full of toxins, you know, fat tends to accumulate toxins. So maybe, maybe they're just carrying a really toxic, they're not feeling well, they're tired, they're worn out, whatever it is. And sometimes a vegan diet or a raw vegan diet for a month or maybe six weeks or something can work miracles. Really? Well, it depends. You know, if somebody was very thin and shouldn't lose weight, then I'm not sure that I'd want to suggest that. Yeah, don't put me on one. No, I, I wouldn't. But I went um, on it once, it's bloody boring. Well, you've got to be hugely inventive, I think, to, to do that. There's a film called Raw for 30 Days, Reversing Diabetes Type 2. There are a bunch of people who go to a ranch in Arizona or somewhere, and they go on a raw vegan diet for 30 days. If you go on the right diet, the right vegan diet for 30 days, type 2 diabetes will, generally speaking, be overdone. <laughs> 